Catholicism. That's a big one. As <laughs> the actress said to the bishop. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Hey, Libby. Episode hey, three. Episode three. <laughs> episode three. Do you think we'd get this far? Yeah. Of course you did. Yeah. 100% faith. I'm pleased we got this Faith. Far. Good word for this oh, ep- yeah. week's episode, isn't it? What did we believe? Yeah, nice. Yeah, I like it. So, what are you excited about? How's uh, your job going? Oh, oh. So, I am... So, I'm looking for a new job. We kind of talked about that a little bit You're always week. looking for a new job. I know. Or so it feels. Or so it feels. Uh, so, what I'm looking at now is maybe not a different job, but maybe the same job. But So, I'm a contractor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do temporary work. But now I'm looking at a permanent role. Uh, and we've talked about this before. But you, I can see it in your face. You're like, you will hate that. Don't do that. I've learned from my mistakes. Don't do it. Oh, I don't feel like I have. So, after last week we were talking, I was like, don't go to university just because it sounds cool. I've literally spent this week pursuing a job title so that I can tell people my job title. What would the job title be? Um, it would be Principal BA. Principal. Principal. It's You know, as much as we like, live for yourself, don't care what other people think, which I agree with, which I think absolutely, you can't always go through life that way because, you know, the book you're reading is all about how we project ourselves and others perceive us and yeah, things like job yeah. titles do matter it does and i think if i take like a perm role for a bit then when i come contracting again but, but yeah i mean that's where i am so that's mm. this week there's a lot of introspection there's a lot of trying to force myself to plan long term i was asking yeah. a friend for advice as to what to do and i literally framed it in terms of like between now and christmas yeah. And his immediate feedback, he was like, this is really short-term thinking. Why aren't you thinking longer term oh, than this? Interesting. Because I'm like, Christmas is months away. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I don't know. Yeah. I said something super cool and snappy and sharp and put and, him in his place. And now you can't remember what that was. I mean, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to pretend that I didn't. And yeah, yeah, I've got no answer to that. I don't know why yeah. I'm thinking short-term. I did the freelancing perm, freelancing again. And every now and then, at the back of my mind, I'm like, but what about in five years or ten years when basically I've been doing the same thing? Because what you do get from a permanent role is the sense of progression. Yeah. Um, and obviously you get that freelancing because you're still learning and you're still doing doing things over and over again. And what I do is a craft skill, so you do get better at it, but it doesn't look like it on paper. Yeah. And that's what becomes really hard. We were having lunch with you and Jim once and you said, well... I've got a job that I don't particularly enjoy. It's not the job we have now. Um, but it, it earns me enough money to live where I live and do what I want to do. And it, and it lets me leave on time so in the evenings I can do something else. And I was like, yeah, just seeing your job as a way to enable something else rather yeah. than your core identity is actually quite important sometimes. And I think we're lucky in the sense that we we have the flexibility to like worry about is this the right thing or not. But but what's wrong with doing something to bring in the income and then actually your identity is attached to something else. It's podcasting or writing or drinking too much at dinner yeah, parties. Or... Like, is it, I don't know if this is just a British thing. So I've only ever lived in the UK, but mm. one of the, if you meet people, one of your first questions is what do you do? Yeah. Do you know what you should say? Your how do you en- no, What? How do you, how do you enjoy spending your time? Well, that's nice. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, come on. Well, <laughs> how do you like to 
spend your time. And how do you enjoy yourself? But just by saying what do you enjoy doing, you can then go, instead of being, oh, I'm a business analyst, you can go, oh, I, I love podcasting, or I love reading books about identity, I or my I'm a feminist Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> feminist nazi the term is feminazi <laughs> sorry sorry and that's our word that's not for you how dare i even <laughs> i know get off it yeah that's good well well then at least the podcast plays a role but um we, since he did apply for a job in amsterdam yeah. tom got approached for a job in amsterdam and he's like, uh, and I'm like, no, don't do it, do it, go yeah, for it. Let's like, go to yeah, I don't, I don't even remember whether I mentioned that you applied for a job there. I was playing all the other reasons why it would be good, but I was like, yeah, let's do this. I think it would be amazing. Yeah, it would be. As someone who's moved countries before, it's a good thing to do. Yeah, I love that. I loved when I started traveling, traveling rather than holidaying. Um, what I really enjoyed was being somewhere with that didn't have any expectation of me. Mm. There wasn't a sense that. You know when people are like, oh, I would have invited you, but I didn't think it was your thing. Yeah. Or you look at some a situation and you think, mm, this isn't the kind of thing I do. I know myself. I know if I do that, I won't follow through. Or if I know if I do that, I'll be uncomfortable. Yeah. When everything is foreign, when everything is completely removed from everywhere that you've gained a frame of reference, yeah. you're forced to reassess in that moment who you are, what's expected of you, what's acceptable. Yeah. And that's what I love about traveling. It's liberating. Yeah, moving somewhere else, trying something else. So mm. yeah, I might try on the person that has a permanent job. And I've been thinking a lot about that this week. Yeah. What have you been up to? I've been thinking about behavioural science. I mean, your thing sounds much smart. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> should I get a like, Tell me about behavioural science. So um, last year I did this project all about um, using behavioural economics and nudge theory to try and change behaviour. So what we were trying to do is get people to do something quite fundamental differently. Okay. Um, and behavioral economics is, it's fairly new, but fairly not new. And a lot of people are like, oh, we've been doing that for ages. It's just got a name now. Anyway, it got me into it and I was working with a behavioral economist. Um, and I just love this idea because so much of what we do is not rational, it's behavioral and it's not thought through. You know, you just kind of instinctively do things. Yeah. That's what I'm into. Um, and I've been looking up different courses. So I've signed, I put my name on a waiting list for a course at UCL towards the end of the year. Cool. So well, I'm excited about that. Or yeah, there, theirs is behavioral science. Okay. Um, but yeah. So how do we use this power for evil? We use it for good. Well, yeah, um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> can we, can we just stop talking about this? <laughs> anyway, this week, you're going to talk about how you quit Catholicism. Yes. Which is interesting because you'd think an organisation where men wear dresses and have fancy smoking uh, purses <laughs> that they wave around on the way down the aisle, the catwalk, I'd stick to. Plus they give you wine halfway through. Yeah. Only why, a little why did I quit type. that stuff? Oh, not enough wine. So part of what we did when we started this was ask some of our friends and family about things that we'd given up on or things that we'd quit, stuff that we were super enthusiastic about. And I was really surprised by one of them that came back from one of your friends. And she's one of your oldest friends. I know this because the area code on the mobile number was South African. <laughs> um, and she said that you had planned to become a priest. I didn't realise that that's where it came from. 
I wasn't sure where it came from. Um, I mean, the it's suggestion. not that I made it no, up. No, no, I know you didn't make it up, but I, I kind of thought it might be my mum or someone. No. Um, this is really interesting because that sort of changes the whole background and whole perspective. But yeah, so the premise of the show is, taking, is talking about things that we've taken up, got excited about, and then quit. Um, I think this is an interesting one because uh, now that I know who it's from, we used to spend loads of time just um, talking about church about god about philosophy we actually met in a history class and then turns out that we had a philosophy class together as well um but she was dutch reformed raised dutch reformed um and i was raised catholic and so we'd often have these tussles and debates about religion um it it was just a fundamental part of my identity and hers at the same time i think in our honours year, so in our fourth year at university after we got our degree, she then went on to do journalism and I went on to um, do sociology. Um, we, She lived next door to me and I went over to... This sounds like a romantic comedy. Mm. It was ma- it was it was really amazing. So I lived in this one flat and she lived in the building next door. Um, and we used to see quite a lot of each other. And our friendship is based on red wine. And actually a lot more than that, but that, that's fundamental. And so I went up there, we were going to have some wine. And then I was stealing myself to come out to her when she came out to me. <gasps> yeah. So we came out to each other together at the same time. Not quite sure. if <laughs> Did you just say what I thought you said? Yeah, a lot of that kind of... Yeah, and, th- and that really unlocked our friendship to be even deeper and even more meaningful than it already was at that stage. But I think knowing that that event four years later kind of really contextualizes, firstly, our friendship, because it was a true platonic friendship, because we actually didn't fancy each other, but also why we we were both looking for reasons or ways of why to almost justify this norm. So I'd be like, well, maybe I want to be a priest and priests are celibate. And so maybe that's what my calling is, I think. So I think maybe the seminary was just a, a, a potential cl- crutch or mask or... A closet? A clo- big <laughs> fucking closet. It was basically Narnia. Yeah, true. Yeah, and I think it was basically my closet. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, so that's one of the things that I guess I was excited about. And I found a huge sense of like belonging and purpose within the church. And, I, and at the time before I came out, because I was so sheltered and closeted... Um, I don't think I realized the degree to which it gave me a sense of identity or a way of hiding behind my tr- away from my true self. So I guess that's why I got excited about that one. Tell me first why you got into that stuff. I grew up in quite a religious household. We were very Catholic and we used to go to church every Sunday, religiously, if you can <laughs> use that as an adjective. Um, and it was part of our identity. And I think that's what I'm coming to realize is this like judaism catholicism there's a separation between the religion and the identity and for a long time i think i confused those two in that it was the religion that i thought we were going for but personally the more i think about it and the more i think about the doubts i had growing up about whether confession really works and whether and communion and all of those types of things i, I think it was the tradition of as yeah. a point of identity because I grew up in a really small town, very Afrikaans, um, town in South Africa. What does that mean, very Afrikaans? Um, so South Africa's got 11 official languages, mm-hmm. and within the white community, most people are either English-speaking or Afrikaans-speaking. Um, and if you say, and they come with a, come with different cultural attributes. So 
one more aligned to the smelting pot of the Huguenots and the Dutch and the Dutch Reformed Church and more Calvinistic puritanical religion. Mm -hmm. And then English speaking, which tends to be a to make a sweeping statement a bit more liberal, a bit more open-minded, a bit more business-focused. Um, and where I grew up, it's on the other side of the Great Track. So the people that left the Cape and were like, fuck this, we're going to start our own countries, the Orange Free State yeah. and Transvaal, or the South African Republic. Um, and so where I was born was on the border of Natal and um, the South African Republic. So And so that part of the country is very uh, quite staunch, Calvinistic, religious, puritanical, racist as fuck most of them um i grew up in apartheid like one of my earliest memories is speaking very earnestly to my mum and saying won't be lucky to be born white now if wow. a five-year-old can pick that up then you know the system's whack it's just insane and so being catholic was a counterpoint to that you know it's an english religion very few afrikaans people are catholic it's not calvinist and dutch reformed you know it's a separate identity yeah. i think and it made us very different so in the first time we were born i think we were, very few people went to our church there'd be huge just reformed churches many of them and there'd be one catholic church and we'd have a priest once every two weeks you know and i think there was a sense of identity but obviously mixed with religion and i and a lot of people thought oh he wants to be a priest me being a priest and i wasn't altar boy and i did go and i was quite prudish as a child and when I went to university, I was like the head of the Association of Catholic Tertiary Students Acts. And I was even a minister of the Eucharist. So the guy at the front of the church that like hands out communion. Um, the biscuits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, and then in hindsight, I think that's a lot just about this point of identity for me. It was, it was a way of asserting difference. I'm not yeah. a rugby player. I'm not into sports i'm not into girls i'm not you <laughs> know was so there's this idea in personality psychology of a personal construct yeah. where you build this uh bipolar uh, spectrum and at one end you have catholic and at the other end you have not catholic yeah and you position yourself on that yeah. spectrum so yeah. it sounds like what you're saying is it wasn't so much that you were positioning yourself as catholic it was just mm. to move away from the other end of that spectrum which was yeah. not catholic yeah i didn't do it consciously or think about it but i think to some extent it was a a place to hide or to have my identity i wasn't into girls but that's okay because he's he's into church do you know what i mean oh i see what you mean yeah it's like it was a he's he's not into rugby but he's into music and he plays the organ in church you know oh my god i must have come across as such a prudish wanker anyway um and so i think i in hindsight latched onto this identity more than the religion per se and i quite like philosophy i quite like psychology i quite like conceptual thoughts so i'd have long discussions with our chaplain at university about the constructs of the religion because it's quite interesting mm -hmm. you know a lot of it's actually <laughs> the catholic church a lot of the Gospels were written way after Jesus was dead. Um, and a lot of it's based on the philosophy of Thomas Aquinas, who was like, way later. You know, it, it's clearly a constructed yeah. religion. And so we talk about the ethics of things or the implications of things or, you know. Um, so one of the things is you can, if you if you confess to a sin, then you have to do penance. And that penance is undone in purgatory and all of those things which are... I guess 
you had science fiction, I had Catholicism as a way of kind of building this other world with its own rules. And yeah. do, do you know what I mean? I, and yeah, that's yeah. what I really appreciated was this, these rules and these constructs, whether they're real or not, that was immersive and interesting and engaging and helped create the sense of identity. And growing up when I was 15, um, my sister died in a car accident. And I think having the church there was quite helpful and particularly the Catholic church because mm. there is life after death and you know, it, it life didn't end, it continued just in another way. And I think it helped our family to a large extent kind of deal with that grief and that loss. Yeah, it's a huge loss. Yeah. And at the time, we moved to a really small town where there was a convent. And so we became really close to the nuns there. And they were re particularly fantastic for my mum and my dad, you know, to just have that sense of community. And I think that's what it gave is an identity and a community which is universal. So then when after school I came to the UK, I just went to the local church in Ealing. And suddenly there were young people my age that had a similar background regardless of growing up in different countries. So there was a Hungarian, there were British people, there was me, and we could all get on. And then I went back to university and again, in this very Afrikaans university, because I went to Stellenbosch, there was a group of us that were English with the same shared values and beliefs. And and I think that's what it gave me. I don't I, I think Catholicism as a culture has immense value in the sense of shared beliefs, shared systems, shared perspectives, which can help bring together people together. Mm -hmm. And if it's built on love and compassion, yeah. that's fantastic. Obviously, there are loads of issues wrong with it as well, such as contraception um, and corruption and child abuse and stuff. But my experience of the church has always been one of compassion, love, acceptance except when we moved to Europe. And, and that was really interesting. So in South Africa, where it's this missionary culture and there were missionaries and they were loving and accepting. It was fantastic. It started to break away a little bit when I was at university and I came out and um, our chaplain was like, it's okay to be gay, just don't act on it. Which I guess is an easy thing to say if you're a <laughs> priest and you haven't acted on anything for the last 30 years, regardless of who you're attracted to. Um, but, that, but then at the same time, it, it was... Pope Benedict is a bit of an asshole. Yeah. Um, and we got here and I realized that the that I had more in common and appreciated the values of secular British society far more than any religion could ever offer. I find Britain and its secularism open, accepting, considered, you know, non-judgmental in the way that I imagine religion maybe used to be but isn't anymore. And so here, when you go to church, admittedly, I only go for baptisms and funerals and weddings, but it's, you know, like I went one Christmas, it's like, oh, the church is fuller than it normally is. All this judgment yeah. rather than acceptance, rather than welcoming. And yeah, so I just kind of was confronted with this church that didn't agree with me, didn't agree with what they called my lifestyle. It's not my lifestyle, it's my sexuality. Um... And was very judgmental and exclusive. And then I think also dangerous. I think being a bit more critical about stances on abortion and contraception, I just can't, I can't go with that. Like you can't force poor communities to have more children. Yeah. You know, I just, there's just a lot. And so I just realised I'm happier without it. You talked a lot about community and the support and the people. I think that's yes. what I took from you. You were talking about yeah. the people. Do you still identify as a Catholic? Um, I identify as a Catholic 
when I'm around non-Catholics that hate Catholicism. So my experience with the Catholic Church is not one of boy fiddling priests. God, I would have loved that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Joking. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Why do you think I became an altar boy? Just kidding. <laughs> kidding. Um, no, my experience with the Catholic Church is one of compassion. It's one of love. And um, Sister Kathy, when she heard that I wanted to learn the violin, gave me a violin. And, and people will take a, a, a vow of poverty. And, and, and the person she got the violin from said well what do you have so I gave her what I had and you know just like yeah. so much love and giving and and that people thing was really really strong for me so when people go priests are terrible no they're not yes there are individual priests but there are hundreds of thousands of them yeah. you can't you know so many of them are amazing and they do fantastic work particularly where I come from which is extremely poor without the catholic church there wouldn't have been a health system. They would, you know, they ran the clinics or they ran the schools. And and in developed Western society, the Catholic school is where the wealthy kids go. In Africa, the Catholic school is where the poor kids go, where there aren't any other schools, you know, and they do absolutely amazing work. And so I do still wear that identity when people make sweeping judgments about it or when people are misinformed about it. I think I can get quite defensive of the church, but I'm not jaded about its shortcomings either. So the title of this episode is Why I Quit Catholicism. Yeah. What aspects of it do you think you've quit, you've walked away from? I've quit it in the sense that I don't go to church. I've quit it in the sense that it's no longer a central part of my identity. So I'll always qualify it with, I grew up Catholic. Ah, okay. So I see myself now as agnostic. I don't like the things that come with religion. See, oh, so it sounds like when you started, there was this kind of idea of Catholic and not Catholic. And you wanted to pitch yourself away from the end of that spectrum that was the non-Catholic. Mm. And since you came to the UK, that's it's the same kind of spectrum, but Catholic and not Catholic mean different things in this culture. And you're just yes. trying to pitch yourself again at the not Catholic end because you, you've got negative associations with people who are um, immediately affirm their religion as one of their key personality traits. Yeah. I think I live in a world where things are grey not black or white and as anything that's just so confidently yes or no or one or the other that doesn't engage in debates I have a problem with and so um with the church being not willing to engage on things of sexuality or abortion or contraception or you know so many things that they are just like no just doggedly no I I, I can't get on board with yeah, but at the same time flexibility of it yeah but at the same time understand why they're like that because if, if you were flexible then you're fallible and if you're fallible then the yes. whole myth of why you exist is undermined i enjoyed the identity i enjoyed the i mean come on as a little gay boy priests dressing up in gold robes and shit like that's pretty fabulous no yeah there's a lot of theater drama yeah and music and choirs and smoke and Oh, yeah. Bit of a primitive smoke machine. But yeah, I mean, wow. When people look for something to belong to. Exactly. Which is what I I was doing. It was an identity. Do you think you've replaced it with something else now? Yeah, I'm a gay boy. <laughs> what does... um. What does that mean? When you say I'm a gay boy, what is that identity? No, I've always had a problem with identity. I could do like an episode of all... Like, I don't like being considered gay or south african or male or there are loads of things that i don't like 
being partitioned into because I'm not I don't want to be seen as a misogynist or a racist you know like all of those things have like a negative counterpoint and actually I'm not one of those things I'm a combination of a lot of them but I think if you take something and you make it your absolute identity it's very dangerous like that's what people do with religion or sport or and you become violent it becomes in or out it becomes tribal and and that makes me feel really uncomfortable and I don't like that going right back to the beginning of what we were talking about when I'm thinking about the work that I'm going to do and the question what do you do that label of this is what I did that first introduction it's so limiting and you can use it or you can reject it and I understand Mm. all the labels that are associated with things Um, last week we we talked about um, the homophobic bullying I had at school yeah and the word lesbian was associated with me because I was outspoken and I was tall yeah. and I was what was considered masculine, which was to not defer to the authority of others without question. None of those things are one thing you need to actually be to be a lesbian. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's only one thing you need to do to be a lesbian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but there was just this label that was this, and all of the different permit, the positive and negative things that came underneath that. I mean, I did not help myself because I didn't ever reject it mm. i tried to be smart i was like well i don't see why that's a negative term and by that time they'd already moved away so i had an argument for it where i was like well that's not a pejorative term but i just made it worse for myself yeah but that's why um i quite like dan savage and these guys that that would claim terms so you'd often say he'll often say like i'm just a faggot with a podcast wow. like taking away the negative by owning it or I'm queer, I'm gay, I, you know. My you, feminazi. You, yeah, you, you yeah. own that and you kind of... And I think that's the thing with religion for me. I think religion is personal. If you've got faith, fantastic. But if you're claiming the identity to make some kind of value judgment or push down on people or to reflect um, negativity or if, you, if you're using religion to reflect criticism, that I have a massive problem with. So... I don't want to bake you a wedding cake, you bunch of faggots. Yeah. Oh, because it's my religion. No, you're just a bigoted asshole. Yeah. That's got nothing to do with religion. What did Jesus say about gays? Nothing. Besides, he was a 33-year-old unmarried man who used to throw dinner parties for other men and was friends with hookers. Come on, you do the maths. So going from almost becoming a priest to now not considering yourself a practicing catholic Mm. um, what do you think you've learned from that experience i think uh i probably learned a lot of mental agility and gymnastics um yeah this is all about kind of multi-potentialism and and thinking what skill i've taken away from that um probably a bit of um philosophical agility is probably one of them you know kind of thinking about bigger constructs and how they work or not thinking in the abstract because let's be honest, the church is very, very abstract. I think I've taken that away. Um, I think I've taken away, regardless of whether I agree with it or identify with it or not, it is still a massive influencing factor on culture today and on discourse and on the way many people live their lives. And I think it's kind of given me a bit of a deeper understanding about why people behave the way they do or believe the things they do. Possibly given me a bit of compassion on that sense. That is basically your job. Yeah. Is un- talking to people, understanding their motivation, even when they don't understand it themselves, mm. and then being able to document and communicate that. 
So if you learned that skill from your time in Catholicism, being able to analyze yourself and others and your place in the world and beyond this world, then that's definitely a transferable skill. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, true. Yeah. And I guess also um, it, it, what it also forced me is the process of, of consciously thinking about whether I want to be part of this or not, or whether I believe this or not, has made me think quite critically. Um, and that's, yeah, that's obviously a skill I use all the time. So, yeah, that's what I took from that. What do you think makes a good priest? Um, good head. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, it's the only piece sticking out of the dress. What were you think? What? Um, compassion. Mm-hmm. I think you've got to have a lot of faith. And I think you've got to have a true vocation and calling, because I don't think it's easy. I think it's really, really hard. And I think if you don't truly believe that this is what your life was meant to be about, I think it will be a struggle. I think it will quickly become bitter. You know, I think you need to really have a, a profound calling. That's been really interesting. Thanks. I mean, this week I've been doing a lot of socialising. But, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting when you were talking about Catholicism there and about community and about structure and about values. Um, I've had some friends that have recently moved back inside the M25 and they did so to build that community uh, again, yeah. to build that... Yeah sense of structure we went around for lunch i've got um after we went around to lunch at theirs we walked around to a friend of ours that lives near here and we dropped in for a drink um and it's something that those that don't live in london might not connect with the city mm. they might not identify this sense of community what well, you had described it to me once as l- biological family and logical family mm. and that was why when you were talking about catholicism that is what stuck out to me this idea of building a community of like-minded people with similar value sets mm. and what that looks like to me so yeah that's what i've been up to this week um so Armistead morpin talks about your logical family and your biological family and i think that's what happened to me in london i was like actually i found people that i can connect with more spontaneously yes through my sexuality um but because we are an eclectic bunch of people that are londoners by choice when we talk about that kind of personal construct of one end being a Londoner and the other one not I chose to Mm. be a Londoner and I think a lot of people in this city chose to uh, I mean there are indigenous Londoners uh, but there are people that that bought into the concept of what it means to be a Londoner yeah I think the reason I prioritize spending time with people this week is because I have this big decision Mm. about perm career path contract career path what implications that'll have for my lifestyle for my relationships and so I've been going to people and explaining. I'm like, yeah. this is where I am. This is what's important to me. This is what I think. And then they ask me about it. And they ask me without judgment or without uh, preconceptions about who I am or what I want to do or where they've been. They're just like, well, tell me more about it. Or what do you think about this? Or I, there's an engagement there that takes me out of this introspective bubble where I just spin my wheels yeah. and become anxious and um paralyzed by the analysis period of a decision making process i get out and i talk to people and i I say this is what i'm thinking Mm -hmm. um and i can share that with people so yeah it might be there's a a period of indecision or a big decision coming up and i've i've reached out to my network across london to see what they see what they think So that's episode three and why I quit Catholicism. I'm Richard. And I'm Libby. Thanks for listening. So if you want to follow us, you can find us on all social media platforms, NWOT 
podcast or our website, nwatpodcast.com. New without tags. Bye. Bye.